Well, good morning, folks. If you haven't turned in your Bibles or maybe on your devices, go into Haggai. Haggai, if you go from the New Testament into the Old Testament, it's about the third book back. If you get to Zephaniah, you went too far. It's right after Zechariah. Um, and so it's, a, it's been an awesome time of study. I've, I really, as I began this study, uh, did not anticipate the path in which I would find myself going through this study in this time. Um, there's been many things that God has challenged me on in the process of this study. I remember when I was uh, living in Colorado as a young man, I grew up in Denver, and I was for one of those that was fortunate enough that on many occasions that I was able to, when I went swimming, I could see the bottom of the water. Have you ever all ever seen a lake like that? And especially in Colorado, there's a place up called Lake City that I used to, we used to four-wheel down into from the backside off of Engineer's Pass. And you look down into the lake right there by Lake City. And I'm not kidding you, from the, from the top or the, you know, coming down that mountain, you could look right down into the center of that stinking lake. And man, it was beautiful. I mean, you could see the fish. I'm not kidding you. Uh, maybe exaggerating a little bit, but it was, uh, it was beautiful. So I grew up in that kind of water, that kind of clean water. I mean, it was wonderful. And I remember when I went off to college in uh, Alabama, some friends of mine, we were just there shortly and say, hey, let's go swimming. All right, let's, we go out to this um, lake, pond, I don't really know, but I'll never forget there was a dock and they went running and jumping off and I got to the edge of the dock and I'm like, uh, what is this? It's water, you know? I mean, look, I'm not, no, you can't see the bottom. It's, it's, it's dark. I, I don't jump into water. I can't see into, because I had always grown up around water that I could see in. And then I began to tell them that it's polluted. No, it's not polluted. But I mean, you look over on the edges, you know, when water becomes stagnant, you start seeing that stuff and that kind of gathers around the, I'm like, I'm not jumping into that polluted water. And I remember one of the guys who had seen the clear water and knew what I was talking about, he said, oh, Greg, you'll get used to it. And I'm like, no, I got to jump in before I get used to it. I'm not jumping into that water. So it was just hilarious when I think about that. But today, when I start thinking about pollution and what is clean, when you think of garbage, I remember in Maine, we had, a, when I was living in that small logging community, they had a, a dump that you, you didn't have garbage come by, pick your house every week. You had to go to the dump and you go down there, you just see decay and you see filth and you, you see just grossness, right? It's repulsive. And you start thinking about pollution and you start thinking about garbage. And I started thinking about when we look at our text today, how often our hearts where the human heart chooses pollution of the world over the righteousness of God. It's almost so natural. I find it in my own life. In fact, this morning as I walked into this text, I was like, I was, I was even out there kind of telling the Lord this morning a little bit like, Lord, uh, do, we, do we really need to talk about this this morning? Because I find my own heart pursuing things that, that I know that aren't necessarily the things of God. And I realized that, man, I serve a holy God. I'll never forget as a young boy walking down that aisle. And I was one of those that was at a, my parents, I was getting in trouble. My parents decided I needed to be in church because I was getting in trouble all the time. They thought maybe the church can do something about me. And that pastor preached and I'll never forget. He said, he said Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. And I remember, I remember walking that aisle. And realizing, realizing that I needed truth. 
Everybody I knew who lied to me. Everybody, my parents, my friends, the people that I thought cared about me, everybody lied to me. I wanted truth. And that pastor said Jesus was the truth. And I realize how often that when I walk into this world, I find myself, even though God revealed himself to me and he made himself known, and by faith I receive Christ into my life, I still find myself sometimes pursuing pollution. I still find myself pursuing sin, don't I? I find myself actually really enjoying it, and yet God loves holiness. In fact, he wants his church to be holy. He wants his people to pursue holiness. He wants his people to pursue righteousness. And God sends Haggai, this prophet, with passion in his heart and a message on his lips, and he talks about the holiness of his people. That's why the scriptures are so important, dear people of God. The scriptures are so important for us. That's why they're the primary of what we do. Whether we're in a Sunday school class, we're in a Bible study, or we're on Sunday morning, we open the word because the word teaches us about what is holy. It teaches us about the holiness of God. It teaches us about him. How would I know sin except for the law? Except for the law to say, thou Thou shalt not lie, right? I would not know. And the law exposed sin that I might know that I need a gracious and merciful Savior. The scriptures are primary. They're they're central in all that we do. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. And your truth, your word is truth. And I thought this morning as I approached and I was like, my goodness, God, speak to us. Open your word in such a way that, that we realize that, that so many times we fall into these paths of, of unrighteousness and we fall in these paths of holiness. Now look, I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it more than once today. There's a difference between condemnation and, con- and uh, conviction. Condemnation, Jesus took care of that, right? He went to the cross. He dealt with it once and for all. In Christ Jesus, there is nothing I can do in the sight of God to make myself look any better than I can in Christ Jesus and his righteousness. But when we talk about sanctification, as we live out our lives in Christ under the, under the power of the spirit that's in us, as we walk in obedience, as we walk in the truth of his word, it impacts how we live. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of holiness and righteousness and what it looks like in our lives. We cannot grow to a place where we're, where we're complacent. Sometimes I think that we as believers, understanding what Christ has done on the cross and the power of the spirit in our lives, I think sometimes what we start doing is we just think Jesus took care of all of it and I have no responsibility. And we need to be careful of that lie. Jesus didn't go to the cross and die on the cross and rise again so that I can just live into my unrighteousness and not take it into account. And that's what's kind of going on in our context in Haggai. If you look at Haggai chapter two, Haggai comes there and it's about two months after his last message that we looked at last week and he asked two questions of the priest there. The priests actually are the ones that instruct themselves in their answers If you look in verse 10, it says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Verse 11, thus the Lord of hosts, or says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat into the fold of his garment and touches with his fold 
bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Verse 13, then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. In our context, we might look at these questions and not really grab them right off, but in the Jewish mindset, they understood them. So, so when we talk and understand what's going on, they're taking meat that has been ceremonial cleansed. And so the priest takes this meat, puts it up, rolls it up in, his, in the fold of his cloak or in, the, in his garment. And in there is also bread and other things, and, and this meat is clear, considered clean, ceremonial. And if it begins to, if it touches the bread or touches something else, does that bread become clean? And according to their, their law, they would say no. And so what we learn there in the answering that is that holiness isn't transferable. We'll come back to that in a minute. Holiness isn't transferable. So then he asked this next question. The second question he asked of the priest is if, if someone were to touch the touch an unclean or become unclean by touching a dead body and touch something else, would it become unclean? And according to Levitical law, the answer is yes. In fact, you can go to Numbers chapter 19, verse 22. So the principle here that we begin to see out of these, these questions is that defilement or impurity is much more contagious than holiness. Now think about that. In other words, what, what, what the prophet Haggai is instructing the people in their answers is that holiness isn't transferable. For instance, if you have a, if you have a, a, a sick person and you take them to a healthy person, do they become healthy by contact of that healthy person? No. But if you were to take a sick person and they were to con come in contact with a healthy person, what's probably might happen to the healthy person? They become sick, right? And so the picture that he's teaching in this principle is that holiness isn't transferable, but impurity is. Whoa, I just went in darkness real quick. <laughs> so, and it's getting even more dark. Lord, you know, <laughs> are we in trouble? <laughs> you think about floors. If you have a dirty shoes, you walk on a clean floor, does your shoes become clean or does the floor become dirty? And so there's a principle here in which that they're instructing and helping the people to understand. So when you go back to verse 14, we're getting there, Lord. I'm getting there, I promise. <laughs> verse 14 says, if you notice, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with, these, with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. And so the picture is that they're about farming. Guess what? It's unclean. Why? Because there's sin in their heart. The issue, if you remember in the context, if you don't remember over the last two or three weeks, that God's temple's been laying there unbuilt while they were building their own temples and their, their own homes and their own places. They were, they were using paneling and they were living in luxury, but God's house, the, the, the emphasis of his presence in the midst of his people was laying in ruins to the side. 
And for 16 years, because of opposition, it had been laying there and the disobedience of God's people not taking into account God's house. So as a result, they were saying, Lord, we'll get to it. We'll definitely get to it somewhere along the line. This not right now is the time when we looked at those passages last couple of weeks. And so now the picture is that, that Haggai the prophet is instructing the people who now have been building for about two months. He's saying, as it was with you, that what you were doing, whether there was the building of the temple, whether there was the laying out of the farming or whatever it was that you were doing, it was unclean. Why? Because in, in their hearts, there was uncleanness. There was impurity. There was, there was not the setting apart. Their work was impure as a result of their hearts being impure. And you know what? So was their worship. It says they offered their, what they offered there was unclean. While they, were building, they weren't building the temple and they were building their homes, they were still bringing offerings, but those offerings were unclean, not because there was something wrong with the offerings, but because there was something wrong with their hearts. So let me ask a question this morning. When you walked in today, did you walk in pursuing, pursuing God? How often is it so easy, and I catch myself, so easy to kind of casually go about things and come in and, and here we are corporately worshiping God, whether we're, we're here or online and we're worshiping God, but we kind of do it casually. Have we forgotten that we have a holy God, a righteous God? You see, when I begin to think about some of the applications from these few verses, the one that jumps out immediately is that holiness is not transferable. It doesn't matter how holy my grandparents were, or my parents, or my spouse, or my children, or my friends, or my church. It doesn't make me holy. Holiness is only made by the relationship with Jesus Christ and faith in what he has done. That's it. I don't become holy because I walk through the doors of a building where how much I put in an offering or how many times I, I read my Bible even and man, don't throw anything. Or that I pray every day. Holiness becomes in this relationship I have with Christ and it's, and it's the condition of my heart. I can't do anything to earn holiness. Holiness is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Holiness is not transfer overall. Second thing I learned here is that God cares deeply about pure hearts. I'm gonna let that sink. God cares deeply about pure hearts. Let me say it another way. God cares deeply about your heart and the condition of it. Why? Because sin is so contagious. Evil is so contagious. Pollution is so contagious. And in a heartbeat, our hearts can go down a path. And if we continue and we have callous and we have hard hearts, we can go down a path quickly. And sin affects the camp. Do you remember Achan? If you went back to Joshua chapter 7, they, they went in and they were conquering and God was giving them win after win after battle after battle. And his eyes looked upon some of the, soul, the silver and, and gold of their, uh, of, of their enemies and he took some and he hid it and he hid it in the, into his camp and Israel went into battle and they lost. And Joshua was just, he's just beside himself because he was trusting in God. But there was sin in the camp. And God opened it up and they found the person and they found what was going on and they corrected the issue. But how contagious is sin? 
And it made me stop and think, gosh, when I look at our country and I look at our community, we, we have a spiritual problem in our world. And we're trying to address it with worldly answers and worldly solutions. How, how does sin begin to impact our community? How does sin impact our church? When we walked in today, did we walk in with deep-seated anger and hurt? Immorality? Inappropriate relationships? And we stuff them to the side and we walk in and we call on the name of the Lord and at the same time, our life does not reveal anything what we're just saying. Those things can't happen. They can't continue. And they can sin, it destroyed. And I began to realize, man, even my own sin, how has it impacted my own family? You see, sin, it's contagious. We can go through this room and every one of you have been hurt by the sin of somebody else. And you've been hurt by your own sin. It's how contagious it is and that's why God is so concerned. That's why he takes it so seriously about the condition and the purity of our hearts. So when we walk in here, we should walk in here ready to, to seek after his holiness and pursue his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. That we do not live lives in blatant and grievous sin. I know, and I know, and I know Jesus is delivered. There's nobody in this room that understands grace as much as I do. I understand what God has delivered me from. I understand the importance of standing in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. But I also understand that God has begun a good work in me and he'll complete it unto that day. And if I can in my unrighteousness grieve the spirit and quench the spirit, should I not be aware of the purity of my own heart? God cares about our holiness. He cares about our worship. And he cares when we come in and we have grievous sin in our life and we keep pushing it away and we ignore it. And in one breath, we sing praises unto him. But in the other breath, we're living this life of sin and we could care less. That has to stop. Yeah, I didn't expect amens on that one. I, I didn't, I don't... You know, I was thinking about this. We just don't talk about sin in the church anymore, do we? Because we all got to go home. We got to feel good, right? I mean, that's how we evaluate the church, isn't it? When we come to church and we go home, wow, I really felt good. I really liked the way they did this. I really liked the way they did that. I like this and I like that and talk to so-and-so. Man, I feel so good. And when's the conviction of God's people going to be about that they serve a holy and righteous God, a consuming God? A God who desires to have a peculiar people. And I know we don't like that word peculiar, but it means a people of his own, set apart to him, his own people, God's people. Why do you think so many times I say the phrase, dear people of God, so that we understand we're not a people of a church. We're not a people of a, of a building. We're not a people of a, of a community. We are people who belong to God. And that God is righteous and that God is holy. And what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, to make us righteous and holy, we need to understand the importance of addressing sin in our lives. And I'm not talking about a broken where we're broken over in sin. I'm talking about when we continue 
to continue and continue and continue and we continue in our sin and we could care less about the things of God. We show up on Sunday and we do our God thing, but then we go live as we please the rest of the week. Where is that in the word of God? You will not find it. God did not set us apart. God did not deliver us from the sin nature. He did not deliver us from, from death that we might live as we please. He set us apart to be a people of God. And God cares about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. God forbid we walk in here and we worship him callously and casually and carelessly. That we don't come in and we understand that we are pursuing a righteous and holy God. We are pursuing his kingdom because holiness matters to our God. He is serious about it. Again, understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, one of the things when I went through this week, I don't think I ever really felt condemnation. I felt conviction. You see, what conviction does is conviction melts away those things in my life. Conviction comes along and it tells me, hey, my, my heart needs to be on this path instead of this path. Conviction tells me the things that I, I need to eliminate and to melt away and to push away out of my life, to put off and to put on these things. That's what conviction does. Jesus dealt with the condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. But also we cannot take a God, our God, our righteous and holy God, we can't take him lightly. And we can't consider him non-essential and come in here and take worship casually and, and kind of take his word, hearing his word casually and kind of, kind of take conviction lightly and kind of go on about our business and think somehow that God is okay with that. We can't. We can't do that. And I've been praying, I've been praying, God, please, today, I was not looking forward to talking about these things. I'd rather be talking about things that make you smile. I'd rather talk about things that make you happy. But we serve a holy God, dear people of God. We serve him. Let us not be confident in ourselves and proud of our accomplishments and our own wealth and, and live for it and be secured by that. Let us be secure because of we are his people. God, I pray he moves among our hearts today. Holiness is not transferable. God cares deeply about our pure hearts. The other thing I learned this week is that we must guard our hearts. Think about that. We must guard our hearts. <clears throat> when I was thinking about that and looking at it, I saw Proverbs 4.23. Did it go? Oh, there it is. It says, keep your heart with all, what's that word? Vigilance. Keep your heart with vigilance. For from it flows the springs of living water. In other words, where, where does life in you flow out of? Your heart. And if your heart's polluted, what's going to come out? If your heart is about, about unrighteousness, guess what it's going to produce? Unrighteousness. What's polluting your heart right now? What social media platform? What habit? What hobby? What deception do you hold? What relationship do you have? 
God is a gracious God. He has demonstrated grace towards us, but he's not going to leave us in our unrighteousness because he's a holy God. Second Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names, now notice this, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What? You name the name of Christ and you go live the way you want? Is that a biblical idea? We, to have grievous sin in our lives and to go about it callously and then at the same time, name him as our God. I remember I was riding and I was in the, putting in sprinkler systems going through college and, and uh, I worked with a bunch of guys that were in construction and, and uh, I was just sitting in the back of the van. We used to sit, and sit on these big rolls of wire, wooden wire. And this one guy, he was new to the company and he got in and he was just saying some really, really, really inappropriate things. And, and the guys were egging him because they knew I was in the van because they were trying to get to me because uh, I was pretty... Um, if you're around me, I'm going to be vocal about what I believe. And I remember finally, as we got to the spot and we're about to get out, one of the guys said, hey, uh, Greg back there, you should be careful what you say. He's a Christian. And I remember the guy going, well, I'm a Christian too. And I was like, well, I couldn't tell by what you just said, right? See, those who name the name of the Lord, let them depart from iniquity. Let our hearts be set. In fact, he goes on in the same chapter, 2 Timothy says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will become a vessel for honorable use. Look at this, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You wanna be ready to serve God? You wanna be ready to then begin to, to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, that you may be a, be a vessel that's honorable for his use and set apart for holiness. Seek first the kingdom of God. God calls us out of a world to live different lives. First Peter 1, there's a phrase there that has haunted me from the day that I read it because I go, only God, by your grace, can I be there? And God said to us, be holy for what? I am holy. I am holy. Guard your hearts, dear people of God. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Verse 15 says, now then consider, you remember in this, in this, in this book, consider is kind of come in there, consider your ways, consider. Now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When, when one came to, to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hell. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. It's interesting here. God, the Haggai is asking him, he's saying, hey, there was consequences to your impurity. There was consequences to your actions. There was consequences because your hearts weren't seeking after me. You went to, went to the vat and there was, there was, there was 50 to 60% less every one of these cases. And it wasn't because they were bad farmers or just bad luck. It was because God was dealing with his people. He was wanting them to turn their hearts back to him. And they did not turn. In fact, if you went to Deuteronomy 28, you would see it uses those terms, blight and mildew, in the same context where God would deal with his people. 
And the picture was, in verse 17, you did not turn your hearts to me. You see, God's discipline for us is that we would turn our hearts back to him. What does God care about? God cares about the purity of our hearts. God cares about our hearts. God cares about the path and the direction and what our heart seeks and desires. God cares about those things. That's why he sent his son. That's why he redeemed us from death and sin. That's why he has set us aside unto himself. That's why he put his spirit in us that we might walk in righteousness and godliness. But dear people of God, he didn't just eliminate everything. We have to respond to the Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's the idea to be controlled by Him, yielding to Him, that we might produce the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, that we might put off things and put on that which is righteousness. There's a principle in scriptures about those things, and we need to guard our hearts. We need to watch them and guard against them. And if we go on and we're resisting and God's pointing something in your life and you might be here this morning, you might be at home and God's been pointing at something in your life and you keep shutting the door, you keep shutting the door and you keep shutting the door, you keep resisting it because you like it so much, you don't want God to take it away. And you know it's sin. You know it's unrighteousness. And you keep shoving it in there and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to give it up and it's gonna lead you and it's gonna continue. And in the hardness of your heart and the callousness of your heart, it will take you down a path. In Proverbs, it talks about us, if we continue to stiffen our necks to him, then there comes a place where there's no hope. There's no healing. We have to yield ourselves. In Proverbs 29.1, God is gracious towards us though. He's called us to himself. Jesus was here and he's calling himself, calling us to him that we might respond, we might believe and that we might receive his goodness, that we might restore. In fact, the quickest way I know how to restore or renew a heart of sin is by repentance. Confession, acknowledging with God, God, you're right. Yielding oneself to there. Now I know some of you here this morning are listening and you're going, wait a second, Greg. I mean, I know grace. I mean, you're talking about Old Testament principles. You're talking about Old Testament ideas where, you know, it was directly related to what they did and the blessings. But here we are, we're in New Covenant. We're New Testament, right? I mean, Jesus did everything. I mean, he delivered us and he set us free. And there's some even teaching today that doesn't believe that the New Testament believer needs to, needs to repent because Jesus already settled it all. But I want us to look at some New Testament passages here. And start in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Listen to this. Now remember, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, what did Jesus say? There is therefore, where Paul said, by the Holy Spirit, what Paul said, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus, right? He's already dealt with condemnation. But look what he says. For if you live according to the flesh, what does it say? You will die. But contrast, if by the Spirit, the, man, the Spirit's a game changer, isn't he? The Spirit of God reminds us of his word. The Spirit of God convicts us of righteousness. The Spirit of God convicts us of judgment. The Spirit of God directs us in the, right, in the right path. He says, but if by the Spirit you what? Put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We see this principle in scriptures. Put off ungodliness, put on righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be what? Dressed in the righteousness of God. 
So if I'm dressed in the righteousness of Christ, if, if by Christ and what he did, I'm in his righteousness, how can I continue any longer in unrighteousness? Do you not know who you are, dear people of God? Do you not know? Jesus didn't set us free to live as we please. Jesus set us free that we might recognize an almighty God, an almighty plan, and, and we have the message of the gospel that we might live in, for him. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 29. And this, is, this one's a really, uh, really difficult one. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, that is why many of you are, are weak and ill and some have died. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. You come into the Lord's Supper and you've got sin in your life and you're ignoring it and you're despising it. There's consequences. There's consequences. God is serious about holiness. There's other principles, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know what he's talking about here, right? He's talking about giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he's talking about giving. And then he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So there's a picture here where if I sow spiritually, then some way, somehow, I am forfeiting some of God's grace. I don't know what. I don't know what that looks like. Totally. But there's an idea here. But if I spare bountifully, if I sow bountifully, then all his grace is abound towards me. Right here in the New Testament, talking about how I conduct myself. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. <laughs> this one's a good one. Do not be deceived. Okay, don't be deceived, dear people of God. God is not mocked. God does, is not tricked. God is not fooled. God is not unknowing. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption, pollution, garbage, impurity, iniquity. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's this again, this principle that we see right here in the New Testament. And then the last one, one I've been quoting quite a bit through this series what does it say? But seek ye first in the context before this is in the context of, do you look at the birds of the air? Do they, do they fret? Do you look at the lily of the field? Are they not dressed in beauty? Does the bird look for food? Does he worry? Does not God take care of them? And that's the context. And then he says, but you, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all, these thi all of these things, these cares of the world, will be added to you. You see that picture? So if I make as a priority that I name the name of God, but yet everything I seek is of this world and the bounty of this world, there's a conflict there. I think sometimes too many of us, what we do is we put all our eggs in the basket of, of, of our worldly accomplishments and wealth and attainments and not realizing that they're gonna rust and deteriorate. Instead of investing in what is in the kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's a guarantee for you. Sin will not be blessed. Holiness, holiness is. 
Look what he says in verses 18 and 19. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree had yielded nothing. But from this day, I will bless you. God saying here, because of your obedience, because you have picked up and you've, and you've gotten your heart in the right place, I'm gonna bless you. The seed's still sitting in the barn, but you know what? I'm gonna bless you. The, the fig is still on the tree, hasn't even come about yet, but I'm gonna bless you. And there is that picture. Now I know I would ask, I would ask if we live holy, will not God bless us? As a church, as a people, as a family, will we not, will he not bless us? You know, I know there's teaching today that says, hey, look, in the New Testament, everything's, everything's grand. I don't, you know, I don't need accountability. You know, I can't, I can't live righteously. I can't love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. I can't do all those things. So everything's kind of okay. Hey, look, we're justified because of what Christ did. I stand here in Christ. I have nothing to boast before God but Christ. But in sanctification, there is this picture whereby what is true within, what God has done in my heart, now is working its way out in my life. It's sanctifying. It's the setting apart. And we set ourselves apart. We set our hearts on righteousness. We set our hearts on those things. And if if nothing else, just look at the seven churches of Revelations chapter two and chapter three. There's seven churches, right? Five of those, Jesus speaking to his redeemed church, church that was under his grace, the churches that were under his deliverance, right? It was after the cross, five of those churches, you know what he told them to do? To repent, to repent. Repent because you lost your first love. Repent because of the false teaching you've been listening to. Repent because of sexual immorality. Repent because of your apathy. Repent because of your lukewarm life. You think you're clothed, but you're naked. Is God serious about holiness? I'm not, I'm not talking about things that aren't true, dear people of God. I'm talking about things that none of us want to hear. I'm talking about things that we need to hear. I'm talking about conviction, not condemnation. I'm talking about us as a people of God, moving our hearts and setting them in the right path. I'm talking about melting away those things that are not of God, that we might be a people set apart unto him. God is serious and we need to be serious too. Thank God for the grace of God and thank God for the power of Christ that has worked in my life or else how would I know the goodness of God and the goodness of his righteousness and the goodness of his purity and the goodness, the goodness of his holiness in my life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, man, I don't even know what to say. I trust your spirit, Father. I pray your spirit move among our hearts. Father, there's some calloused hearts that need to be broken today. I pray, God, our hearts are soft towards you instead of hard. Lord, I, I, 
I know, dear God, how you've worked in my own life. And you just keep touching these areas of my life to set me apart. And, and every time you rip a Band-Aid off or you open a door in my life and I see something there that I don't like, I see iniquity or I see impurity, I see sin, I do not enjoy it. And then yet I joyfully encounter it. For I know that God, your intent for me is to be more and more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. That I would be conformed into his image. And that Father, many times when we talk about things like, like sin and impurity and the pollution of our hearts, that God, we don't, en we don't enjoy hearing that. For Lord, we're, we're too close to it every day. But oh God, let our hearts not be as such that we take it casually. That we come and go and we call on the name of the Lord and yet there's nothing in our lives in which that we're setting ourselves apart. We're not pursuing you. We're not, we're not pursuing your righteousness. Your kingdom isn't first in our lives. Oh God, may your spirit move among us and set our hearts apart unto you and that our, that our adversary would not deceive us. Our adversary would not blind our minds and our thoughts. But that, Father, we would hear your spirit, that your spirit would move in such a way, God, that you would continue to purify us as your people, holy and set apart a peculiar people unto you, O oh God. May your spirit move and touch those places that only you Father, only you and each of us know in our own lives. The things that even our spouses and our parents and our friends don't know, but God, you know. May your spirit move. In Jesus' name, amen.